I noticed once uh, on a tube ride in London, I I listened like first opera, then I listened metal, then I listened classical music, then I listened some like uh, Dua Lipa song and some, like, you know, it's like, uh, I, can, I can, I love everything. <laughs> so, so I really like every, I feel like in all the genres, there is good music. You are listening to Trinity College London's music podcast with me, Francesca Christmas, director of music. In this series, I meet composers and arrangers from around the world to talk about their contributions to the broad range of music in the 2023 piano syllabus. I'm here in conversation with one of the composers and arrangers from Trinity's 2023 piano syllabus, Marie Sainio. Marie is a composer based in Finland with many works to her name, including music for film, TV, musical theatre, classical ensembles and the opera stage. Welcome, Marie. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's lovely to have this time to spend chatting to you about yourself and your journey um, to the composer you are now, but also to find out more about the pieces in the syllabus. Thank you for being here. Um, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Uh, hey everyone, it's so nice to be here. I am Marisainia and uh, I'm a classically trained composer uh, who lives right now in Helsinki, Finland. And uh, I've also studied film music in Royal College of Music. And um, right now I'm working a lot with film and classical music. And I also have released two solo albums under uh, one Finnish label. And I'm starting to work with the third album this year. Amazing. Let's start there. I'd love to know more about your music. Tell us a little bit about who you are as a composer, as a musician. So I started uh, playing piano when I was four. Like after a few years, I started improvising and I think Composition has been always kind of part of my life and, and making my own music. When I was 12, I wrote down my first compositions and there was a school musical. So they, they used some of the compositions in the school musical. And uh, after high school, I went to study to Sibelius Academy. And I also studied in Gothenburg, Sweden, and uh, I've been to New York and uh, a lot of like sm smaller courses. And uh, in 2013, I went to Royal College of Music to study film music. For me as a composer, I've been always a storyteller. So I, I've always been very inspired by nature, stories, pictures. So when I started to do my first compositions, I already have like, uh, like picture collages or something like to get inspired. And still, when I start composing, I usually have the idea first. So I'm this kind of like a storytelling composer. And I've also written a lot of like stuff for myself, like uh, regular writing. So I think it's a big part of me. Amazing. Could you, I, I can't wait to get into uh, understanding a little bit more about your process as a composer. But before we do that, if you were to have to summarize your music in one or two lines, can you do that? What sort of music do you like to create? Uh, I like to create music with strong melodies, uh, like something like strong emotional um, character. And also, uh, not maybe in a piano music, but I, I think I'm, I'm quite a textural composer. For example, with the orchestral music, I, I love to create like sound textures and also use sometimes synthesizers and like unconvenient sounds with with the music. So I think that's kind of 
big part, parts of me, these three things. I will say you can hear the melody singing from your pieces when when I listen to them, when I've looked at the music you've written for us. It's so beautifully melodic with such strong um, pictorial representation that I know our, our teachers and our learners are going to love playing them. Well, thank you. But before we get on to that, we'll have lots of teachers and, and learners listening to this podcast who will be really interested in that sort of creative process, creative music making that you've described. How did you get further into composing? What was your journey going from learning the piano to becoming a composer? Yeah, I, like I told earlier, uh, improvisation was always a big part of me. And I actually, I sometimes make the piano teachers angry with my own arrangements of uh, classical works. <laughs> they say that I cannot like uh, touch Greeks, sonatas and stuff like that. But I, I did <laughs> because I, I said that it's, it would sound better <laughs> with, with this arrangement. I think it was just a thing I wanted to do and I needed to do. So I... For example, when I sat in a bus, I might like write some song lyrics and think about like, I want to compose musical uh, when I was very small. And uh, as the actual composition, I think, started when I had a little bit more theoretical understanding. So I remember I composed piece for two guitars. That was the first one. It has just like two melody lines. It was really hard to notate and uh, because I feel like my... My knowledge wasn't that good yet. And then I suddenly, uh, I got Sibelius notation program that kind of changed everything because then I could like play back the music I've written to Sibelius and kind of, I, I noticed I learned, for example, the rhythms very quickly after I got the Sibelius and uh, the composition got more serious after that. So that's kind of how it all started. And in high school, I think I started to compose like more seriously. I went to music high school and there was like all the instruments and I I was so excited that I can compose for like different groups and and uh, different projects. So that's how everything started. But I've, I've been talking with other composers and most of us have the same experience that we just needed to do it. Like it, it wasn't mm. like just, we just started doing it. It was something from the inside. I love that you describe, first of all, a creative process that even as a youngster, before you had all of the theoretical underpinning, before you had the notation program, you needed to create music. And I love that sort of um, idea that that comes first. And then learning how to write it down and put those things together came later. Does, is that, have I characterized that correctly? Yeah, I think you can always learn techniques more and more. You can like, like I feel like I'm still in a learning process and I love it that I that I can always learn something new in this profession but I feel like if you don't have like any ideas or you don't have creative mind I think it it's not ever gonna work but if but I see already like I've taught composition for some children earlier and I, I noticed that some people just have like the same like urge to create like they don't know much yet but they their ideas sound very logical and good and uh, I know if they continue they're going to be good composers. That's interesting you're able to spot um, <laughs> young composers in, in, in their raw material that's lovely. Do you, you described you said you often have pictures to compose to how does, how does that work? Yeah sometimes I uh, if I if I compose like a concert music, I I might think about what I want to say uh, with the piece and about the concept. For example, it's not concert work, but my third album that I'm now working on. I decided I want to 
uh, it happened like it's like one night. So it's called nut. So it's uh, called night. And uh, it has like different stages of sleep and uh, different stages of night. And I feel like it gives some kind of interesting structure for the whole album. And uh, my first album was called Minus 25 that has inspiration from the Nordic nature and uh, like this kind of cold weather and stuff like that. So I feel like I sometimes also like just collect some collages of pictures and uh, and kind of get inspired of those. Or I go to YouTube and search for some beautiful videos and just start to compose inspired by the video and stuff like oh. like I, I have these kind of processes. I try to keep the creative process as intuitive as possible. So I always try to keep the like the first phase very intuitive and then I can go to the theory and and like more like detailed parts. But I feel like it's important to have this very free like improv improvisational start for the working. That makes perfect sense. We have in our um, exams, our, our learners are allowed to bring with them a piece that they've written so they can play one of your pieces um, and a couple of other pieces, but they can also bring their own composition. What advice would you give to piano teachers, for example, who might want to encourage their learners to write their own piece to play in their exam? I think uh, one thing is just to encourage for composition because I've noticed like like a lot of children and teenagers they they are very shy about their ideas and then if someone who has like more uh, knowledge about the music tells them that this is actually a really good idea I think you should think about maybe maybe give some small guidelines but not like pushing too much I feel like it's always difficult if I'm been teaching composition that I don't want to influence the student too much because I feel like I want them to learn their voice, not to just like uh, copying what I say. But I feel like you can kind of, the piano teachers could like uh, say that, hey, I, I like this phrase here. Maybe the, maybe you can have it double, like double phrase, or you can have like a question answer or like this kind of small composition techniques. You can kind of give some, see like, ideas for them and they can continue but I feel like it's it's to encourage and maybe to try out like uh, just improvising like if they have a small melody and like two chords they can try out like uh, how to change uh, like if they just have like small chord like uh, triads what they are playing maybe they can try to play them with arbeccio or something like this kind of stuff like uh, just small things and the, the composition can also change. They don't have to like notate it properly and and it can change during the process. Like mm, I've changed my really compositions after many years, like when I noticed that some things work, but I think maybe just play around with the composition, not making, making it too serious immediately. That must, that's interesting to hear you go back to your compositions even now after you've written it. I mean, how do you know when it's finished? That must be difficult, right? If it's something that feels like a living entity to you that keeps growing and keeps changing. When do you know when that you're, when do you know the point comes to deliver your composition over? How do you know when it's finished? Sometimes it's deadline that I, I just have to, <laughs> but I, I usually, I know, I, <laughs> sometimes I know it's like, I feel like I'm like some, some of my friends are just saying that I'm sometimes like a zombie when the deadline is approaching. And I have like some, like, I know, for example, that some part of the composition doesn't work yet. And I'm, I'm think I'm processing it like 24 seven all the time. I'm thinking about it and thinking about it. And I feel like just 
just I, I know when it clicks. I know when it works. Like somehow I, I maybe it's because of the experience and what I've achieved. But I kind of realized that now is this is it now. Uh, sometimes I've changed my compositions because I I'm that kind of composer who wants to get feedback. So if the players, for example, say that this would be easier to play with this kind of bowing, for example, for the cello, uh, I might change the or I change the bowing. Or uh, sometimes people have asked for my older compositions. For example, I have this one choir piece from 2009 that people sometimes want to perform. And I feel like the the notation looks a little bit bad and there are some mistakes uh -huh. because I was like 19 when I did it. So it's uh, cool. uh, so, so sometimes I change a little bit the compositions that, okay, this harmony doesn't sound so good. So maybe I change it. This is like 2.0 version of the 2009 <laughs> composition, <laughs> but, it, but it's hard. I feel like you have to just accept that this is it now and that this is as good as you are right now that you hope that you would be a better composer or better player, but you, this is actually the point where you are now. That's excellent advice, isn't it, actually, that you, that you, you know, you talk about your pieces maturing with you, maturing with age, maturing with you as a musician. And that's, it, that's so true, isn't it, for uh, performers as they progress, that they can, the performance they give, the beautiful performance they give at grade one will be very different to that at grade eight, but it's just as valid and just as important. Could you tell us a little bit about the music that inspires you? So who do you listen to? Who are the composers you enjoy? Who are the artists you enjoy? Who do you listen to in the car on the way to on the way to a job? <laughs> uh, I actually I, I love like all types of music. I think um, musicians especially professional musicians, they should be open for all kinds of music and inspiration. So uh, I've been listening a lot of like uh, a lot of classical music. My my biggest classical influences have been the Impressionists like Ravel and uh, Debussy. And also uh, like, of course, in a piano world, Chopin. And um, and uh, then one uh, orchestra in orchestral world, my favorites are the Russian ballets by uh, Igor Stravinsky, and then I listen a lot of like um, um, film music. I've been listening like these big film composers as well as the smaller ones, and uh, I love electronic music. I, I get a lot of inspiration from uh, like a, like a techno and house, and also from like um, post rock. I, I feel like uh, you can get inspiration from all types of music, and sometimes it's maybe better even get like a go to listen to like music that you are not actually making that much. I've been listening a lot of different things. I noticed once uh, on a tube ride in London, I I listened like first opera, then I listened metal, then I listened classical music, then I listened some like uh, Dua Lipa song and some, like, you know, it's like, uh, I, can, I can, I love everything. <laughs> so, it, so I really like every, I feel like in all the genres, there is good music. Um, now, see, I was going to ask you the question, do you think it's important for learners to have, you know, a wide, to be exposed to a wide range of musical styles and genres in their, in their learning? But I think the fact you draw from Stravinsky, techno and post-rock <laughs> all in one breath, I think that suggests yeah. that you do believe in a, <laughs> in a varied musical diet. <laughs> 
Yeah, and in my in my composition, I try to explore like uh, like in uh, my solo music, especially. I might have like rock guitarists, then I have like string ensemble from the classical side, then I have some folk singer who sings like uh, Nordic folk singing, and then so suddenly I have someone playing shakuhachi for me. It's like I feel like it's just so fun to explore and be open to all kinds of music. And uh, I feel like in a classical world, it has been so strict that you have to learn these and these and things and you cannot even look at the other stuff. But for me, I think it's the most important uh, for teachers as well is to inspire the uh, pupils that they would actually like to come to the lesson. So if they don't like to come to the lesson, they quit. And, uh, and there's so many other stuff they would like to maybe do as well. So we need to kind of uh fight with all the other hobbies like uh or other stuff for their time so i feel like it's important that uh the students have something to be inspired to like inspired of in their classes i think there are uh teachers across the world listening to this at the moment and nodding furiously at that um comment about <laughs> the you know what music lessons are up against the other draws on children's time and how actually keeping children enjoying their playing and engaged in their lessons is one of the biggest challenges of music teaching quite often. I wonder if we might talk a little bit about the couple of two of the pieces that you composed for us, both of which I suspect draw on nature and the world around you because we have um, mountain spirit at grade three and snowfall at grade six could you tell us a little bit about your pieces yeah uh, so um i start with the snowfall that's the grade six piece i composed this this is very easy inspiration because i uh, i got asked to do this in winter so i was just watching the heavy snowfall <laughs> from the window and i i think i I knew immediately I wanted to compose something with that. The nature of the snowfall, I felt like this has to have like some repetitive motif. So this have this left hand motif that keeps going on and on. Uh, then I started to play with the music and I realized the scales weren't actually major and minor scales. But I, I was thinking that maybe the young players, they can try out also scales outside this major minor possibilities and have some like uh, like modes as well in the in the repertoire and but I wanted to make it like easy listening it doesn't sound like too too strange for them and it has also a lot of like modulations and key changes but I those I wanted to also make as subtle as possible because I felt like uh, I don't want to have like this crazy classical like new classical sound in the piece uh, that was kind of the things I was thinking but this was actually very intuitive so I felt like it felt good in the hands when I started playing the it with the piano so I, I went with the with the idea <laughs> it's a really I've, I've listened to your piece a few times and it's a beautiful it's a it's very expressive it's very reflective i would say it's got a lovely sort of feeling of of, of almost like snow drifting the rubato tem tempo that goes throughout and i would say for any any teacher or learner who really wants to strengthen up that left hand and think about kind of technique and consistency it's a gorgeous piece to practice with 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, and it's also like when you think about uh, like heavy snowfall, it's not this kind of that it just goes down. It goes like this, like uh, it goes all around. So, so I was thinking I wanted to have this round like sound with, with the left hand. Yes, That's yes. why. And I and I think it has this melancholic feel because it's like it's it's so dark <laughs> and uh, during that time in Finland. So I feel like that that kind of comes with it that it cannot be that like uh, happy. <laughs> I think a lot of our grade six candidates will choose your piece because of that because it has that lovely sort of dark, slightly mystical feeling to the music, which is really really appealing. I hope people likes it and uh, it gets many players play it like a. Uh practicing list. <laughs> yeah, the second piece, Mountain Spirit, it's a little bit different. I I also wanted this Nordic feel to it. I've, I've played folk music also, like Nordic folk music. And uh, I think with this grace notes and fifths and this melody, it has this kind of folk, folk feeling. And I noticed it was quite fun to play around with that uh, melody. I wanted to also in that one incorporate modulations and, uh, and small key changes. But uh, when the melody is very repetitive, I feel like it doesn't sound like too strange for the young players. So I feel like young, young players can explore different keys in this, but still like a suitable piece for their level. And it's a beautiful piece. It's a very pretty piece. It made me think of sort of, you know, trickling mountain streams and beautiful wildflowers. It was very, it was very, it's very evocative of the sort of beautiful countryside. Are they the sorts of images you had in mind as you were writing? Yeah, yeah. I think I had like, a, with the snowfall, I had this like winter. I think in this one, I have this, it's more like summer feel and... Uh, Somehow I think about like some small mountains, like what, what do we have in, in here in, in Nordic countries? I was thinking about also like this uh, folklore, tales of gnomes and, and mountain spirits and stuff like that. So I, I wanted to have this kind of folky feel like with the, with the folklore tales. <laughs> and I love that we have summer and winter from you. So for the next syllabus, we will ask for spring and autumn, right? <laughs> complete the set yeah definitely four seasons of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah fabulous and actually I, I just got an idea the people who play this uh, mountain spirit piece maybe you can try out with the different modulations uh, because you can just go on like with the piece just with all with all the keys so you can just uh, modulate <laughs> and have this this kind of challenge so or maybe it's for the like the higher grades so they can go through all the keys like with this one piece. <laughs> so this is like small improvisational challenge for the pianists. <laughs> That's a lovely tip. That's a lovely tip for teachers listening. What a great idea. So Mari, as well as the two beautiful pieces you've composed for us, You've also arranged six other pieces across grades for us. And those are arrangements of um, pieces in the pathway we calling um, pop classical arrangements. And the idea behind these, this, this approach is that we can take some pop, some pop tunes and contemporary music that um, people will recognize or perhaps will be new to them. Um, and we've asked arrangers like yourself to arrange them very pianistically. So it takes, borrows from what might be thought of uh, as Western classical technique, perhaps, but brought it to some pop tunes, which has resulted in some most glorious arrangements of um, pop songs from the last you know, 20, 30 years. 
why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the tunes you've arranged for us? I had like a initial grade to grade seven, so so very different type of techniques. The initial one was uh, read all about it, and uh, the most difficult one was yeah, Kiss from a Rose. And maybe I can talk about Kiss from a Rose because I think it has the most work to do. <laughs> I really liked the song, and um, I got like uh, some ideas for for that has also like very difficult left hand motif or that's kind of like left hand practice in that piece yeah I got inspired to try to make it like a romantic romantic sound in some parts of the song so uh, with the all all the arrangements I wanted to make them like uh, pianistically as interesting as possible so especially with the the grade seven uh, Kiss from the Rose I wanted to have this kind of classical maybe romantic references on the left hand and uh, to have the pianist uh, to have a lot of like same challenges uh, as they have if they would play like a Chopin piece or like some some like traditional classical piece and I I wanted to make even the smaller grades sound like that that the players would like to play them rather than the children's songs or some other songs they are playing and I think it was really fun to do these arrangements because I, I usually just compose. So it was nice to have these uh, already these melodies and the structures that these pieces have to work with. And you've arranged a lovely set of pieces for us across the grades. We've got um, Emily Sunday at initial, Celine Dion at grade one, uh, Tears for Fears Mad World at grade three, Coldplay and Aphex Twin at grade four, and Seal's Kiss from a Rose, which you've just spoken about at grade seven. So an amazing selection to play from for, for any learner. Yeah, definitely. I'm really excited you included these pieces also to the piano syllabus. So we have a network of teachers from across the world listening to this today, Mari. If there was one piece of advice or one note of inspiration you'd like to offer them, what would it be? This uh, one um, cello teacher uh, who told me that the most important thing is uh, the students to show up to the lesson. It's not that like, what they are doing in the lesson, because sometimes in their student life, there is a time that they don't maybe want to come to the lesson. For example, when they become teenagers, they have been playing all their life and then they become teenagers and some other thing, things get more inter interested. So the most important thing that they show up and uh, maybe they can go through the time uh, that it's like difficult uh, with the playing and then they can continue. So I think the most important thing is to make the lessons interesting enough to to people to show up to the classes and make make good connections with the students. And uh, because I, I've had like very good connections with my piano teachers because it's like a very private time when we are playing like one hour, we are there just two of us and uh, We've been talking about life sometimes in the classes more than like playing, but I think it's the most important thing that you want to come to the class every week. And at uh, the same time, you can then practice much and learn things. But, but I think that's the most important advice I've heard. So Mari, I would imagine most teachers are having the same thought as me at the moment, and that is having heard so much about your music, where can we go to buy it and listen to it? So you can find my music uh, from, for example, from Spotify, 
uh, you can just type my name Marisainia and uh, there is my two solo albums and also some classical works I've done. For example, my uh, monologue opera The Raven, you can find it also on Spotify. And also my social medias are all at Marisainia. Perfect. And we will we will make sure that there are links for teachers to follow so they can go and find you and listen to your listen to your music. And of course, if you are looking at Marie's pieces in the um, Trinity syllabus, then the books come with um, professional recordings of all of the pieces. So you can start by playing your pupils and um, the recordings of her pieces before you start to learn. Mm -hmm.